I'm Chuck Norris, and I approve this game. Welcome everyone to the Roll for Initiative Podcast. I am Ian Vince and this is volume number three, issue number 122. I'm sitting alongside DM Matt. Hello everyone. And DM Nick. Hi folks. And we got a wonderful show for you tonight. Just a <laughs> wonderful, fun pack show. But let's start with, um, since Matt wasn't here for the last show, Matt, what have you been up to? Uh... Not a whole lot. I was do, got called in for a movie shoot last weekend, so yeah, my gaming uh, life kind of got put on hold as I got to pretend to play actor for a weekend. So, what um, role did you play? Can you uh, tell? It? Yeah, actually, the uh, film is uh, the uh, short film's up on YouTube now. It's for the Forty Eight Hour Film Festival in Columbus. So, I'll throw a link to that in the show notes. Um, it was a we did a gangster movie, so I was one of three bumbling mobsters as we tried to uh, hold. Uh, we we were supposed to off someone, but due to my sloppy handwriting, we couldn't actually figure out who we were supposed to off. <laughs> so it, wackiness ensued, and uh, yeah, due to one scene, I nearly had in retakes. I nearly had to eat an entire half box of chips ahoy. So if I never see another Chips Ahoy cookie again, I will be a very happy human being. Oh, there goes your Christmas present. Send your <laughs> Chips Ahoy to Matt at. <laughs> oh, no more. It was on, on the uh, movie's Facebook page that one of the uh, directors posted. Yeah, if Matt ever becomes a diabetic, it's probably due to this scene. <laughs> Just, it, I was like, no more cookies, please. No more cookies. Yeah, now you wonder why when you watch TV shows and you see actors taking slow, tiny bites of food, you know why now, huh? Yes. They chew. They never swallow. Yeah. They just feel like, why aren't they eating? And they're just like kind of eating, and now you know why. Right. I've I've learned my life lesson in regards to that. Yeah. How about you, Nick? What have you been doing? Uh, Well, not a whole lot. I mean, as far as the gaming thing, I I, I am going to try – to get together with my regular group, hopefully uh, this coming weekend. So it's it's just been kind of weird. Everybody's been busy through through the summer, and yeah, but, uh, uh, yeah. We're gonna try to get back together, and I also have like a little project that's kind of gaming related. I'm going to make an uh, an arcade emulator uh, cabinet system for my house. Just a just like a mini cabinet. I'm gonna have the emulator on an old computer, and I'm gonna throw a whole bunch of classic arcade games from the 70s and 80s on there and it'll be really full fun we're trying to turn one room into like the game room of our house so that's going to be part of it so i'm really really excited about that project little diy project huh yeah it'll be fun i found already a bunch of uh plans online and i got the emulator i've been playing like (laughs) i've been playing all different games i've been playing time pilot joust Space Invaders, Pac-Man, you name it. <laughs> it's been so is fun. This, is this cabinet going to be like the traditional video arcade with the well, stick, two buttons, or? Yeah, I'm going to have, yeah, the standard joystick and buttons. It's going to be a bar top style. Oh, okay. So I'm not going to go with the full cabinet. Um, 
I just thought that would take too much room, but a bar top style would be cool. And it's going to have a two player setup. And I, I would love to have a, a cocktail version of it, but th- that takes a lot of work to do a cocktail table version yeah. of those things. What would the cocktail ta- uh, table entail? Since I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, you know, you got your standard uh, video game cabinets, how tall they are. Basically, right. and a bar top one is basically like a, a your standard one. It's just essentially cut in half. Yeah, I've seen that, right? And the, the cocktail one is just the flat table uh-huh. style and has plexiglass on top and then you play it sitting down and why they call them cocktail styles because you can put your drinks on top yeah and why they call it cocktail style it's just the plans look a little bit more complex because you have to make it to where you want to sit down and you have you're gonna have chairs around it and so i didn't want to go that route i just thought something kind of middle of the road i suppose yeah it'll be really fun yeah, are you going to have a trackball for your missile command and those type of games, or are you just going to stick with the joystick? No, you know, I was thinking about a trackball setup. It just seemed a little bit more difficult. I was looking at, oh, is it X Games? Yeah, or, or at X Arcade, yeah. At X Arcade, I'm going to get, they have a kit. If you don't want to just get the dual joysticks set up for, it's like a, about $130. Yeah. You could get a dual joystick set up. You can also get the one they call the Tank or the tank something or another which has it's like the dual joystick but with a trackball in the center and that's like about two hundred dollars i don't really have a whole lot of games i'm going to need a trackball for you know right yeah so you they do have a kit there for 80 bucks it's the it's a basically a do-it-yourself kit has 20 buttons two joysticks and a um interface card between all the buttons and joystick and the computer, you don't have to do any soldering and trying to hack like into a keyboard. So, and that's, I think that whole kit's like 80 bucks. Nice. I'm looking at the site. They have, um, they have a full machine with 200 games on it for almost three grand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Whew. So if, if you got money to burn, go for that. But I'm actually pricing it all out, doing it myself, cutting it, um, and putting in there everything together should come out to about ooh, around 150 bucks. Nice, that's good. So yeah, not bad at all. Yeah, you know? and so it'll, and I'll look pretty decent. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to dress it up kind of nice. I'm gonna find some cool graphics and things to put on the side. So I think it'll be really fun. Yeah. Yeah, I actually have one of those X arcades, the dual uh, joystick controllers, and those things are glorious. They are built like a tank. So, yeah, you'll enjoy it greatly. Cool. I, I have a I have a PC hooked up to my computer, uh, my uh, TV. You have a PC hooked up your computer? Yes, I know. <laughs> I know. It's a PC. I know. It's amazing. The, I have a PC hooked up to my uh, 50-inch uh, HD TV. And I had that's what I use the uh, X arcade controller for. Oh wow, that's cool! So that oh. way I can play my uh, WWF WrestleFest on it or <laughs> NBA oh. Jam. Oh my God, Matt mentioned wrestling. Yes, I know. Don't do that. I'm looking on the site. The do-it-yourself two-player kit that Nick was talking about is 80 bucks, but I wouldn't have to put it together. So, yeah. oh, I just found some plans, and I didn't even have to. Well, there's a actually a place right up here in. Um, up in the Cleveland area where I live, uh, North Coast um, Arcade, and they make 
whole kits that you can put together. They also make whole cabinet setups with all the games and everything in there if you want it. So there's there's a whole industry behind this for people who want to have, um, if you have an old computer or uh, you have an older game console, because you can download them. These There's emulators for, like, I guess, PlayStation and Xbox and what have you. Right. And, uh, yeah, you can build up the cabinets around it and get and a realistic arcade experience right in your own home. Yeah. Depends how much you want to spend. Yes, it does. Cause you can go all out and, uh, cause there's a place not far from my house. that will actually sell you old arcade cabinets. So you don't actually have to cut your own. If <laughs> I wanted to, I could just take that, uh, X arcade controller and just kind of plop it in the spot of the joystick and just, yeah, kinda... you know, I was going to go that route. To get a uh, old cabinet, get an old cabinet, and and uh, kind of finish it out on my own. There was a, there is a place up here in Solon, or in Menor, Ohio, which is not too far from me. They had a bunch of cabinets. There was one that an older cabinet was going to be less than a hundred bucks. I could have picked it up, but I, looking at the pictures of the cabinet, I'm like, you know what? That looks a little too big. Mm-hmm. Because it, it would look like it, it had just had a trackball, right, and a few buttons, but the 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 surface was huge, hmm. where everything was mounted on, right. And and I'm looking at the oversight overall size of the cabinet for the picture. I'm like, that's a little too big for my house, you know. Yeah. So I'm looking at the XRK tank stick stick with the yeah the tank stick. That's it, which is pretty cool looking. Yeah, you know, Will Wheaton gave it a great review. Who cares about Will Wheaton? <laughs> <laughs> Will Wheaton, Will Wheaton, Will Wheaton! Oh, I wonder if he listens. Probably not. Absolutely not. <laughs> Will Wheaton has better things to do than listen to a game that, you know, he's so into. So, Mr. Old School himself that jumped on the bandwagon. Yep. Anyway, uh, yeah. So my game didn't didn't go off last week. We didn't have enough players. A uh, couple were out of town, and then we lost a few going back to you know school and things like that. Some people just dropped out because of real life things. Things happen, you know. Yeah. But I have enough players next week. We got about five uh, players signed up for the campaign, so we'll be back on track. Play a few more sessions in the end of the summer. I think we're gonna take a little break and. I'll be running some other goofy games on the side just until we get more players again and I can rewrite the rest of the campaign. Cool. Because I have to revamp it now that I have less players. It was originally written for nine, and now I only have five, so... I'm going to take a little tweaking. Oh, yeah, big time. So, yeah, that's that. And uh, mm. So if you want to contact us, you can uh, write us at uh, rfistaff at gmail.com or... Call us at 570-865-4210, the hotline, where nobody is standing by. No. <laughs> we all gave them the day off. Yeah, that's yeah. right. We just have an answering machine. Yeah. Due to yeah. Se- sequestration, we had to cut back on the kobolds. <laughs> we had to redact all the kobolds, so everybody's been redacted, even Nick. Even me. What? <laughs> Nick is not actually here. It's a simulation of Nick. Yes, what we did is... is- is we went back through all previous episodes and just cut out him saying uh, various phrases. 
So it's yeah. actually just a Nick Dropbox. You know, they actually did that in Order 66 one time with Chris. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> they did? Yeah, Dave, uh, I guess Chris was out of town for whatever reason and he couldn't make the show. So Dave went back and like recorded a ton of Chris lines and just kept hitting a button every once in a while. It was like Chris saying, you know, that was a great question. Why don't you ask blah, blah, blah. Or, Dave, what do you think? <laughs> Doing things like oh that. Oh, my God. It was actually kind of funny. Yeah. Yes, and you can listen to them on d20radio.com to find out more about their show, which is Star Wars, uh, based on Fantasy Flight Star Wars game, which is uh, fun to listen to. They're a great bunch of folks. So let's uh, head into the meat of the show this week, jump right into everything. Yeah. All right. Typical of all the evil creatures in the world, I had to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. So, table manners this week, we're going to be talking about pretty much D&D. <laughs> sort of. Uh, yeah, sort of. We're going to talk about what would happen if Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax didn't get into their major fight undispute I should say and the lawsuit never happened and Arneson stayed with TSR and decided to put his input on first edition he uh well during the time he decided to make his own game he got I guess together with Rich Schneider Schneider sorry not Schneider because that's be a CH and they designed a game called Adventures in Fantasy Book of Adventure by Dave Arneson and Rich Schneider which came out in 79 mm-hmm. and well, if this is the direction that first edition would have went, I probably would have never played it. Not to the simple fact that it was because of Dave did it, because I'm not one of those people like, oh, Gary's been in Dave. And, eh. It's not that. Nothing to do with that. The fact that the simple fact of the math involved in this thing, I wanted to bang my head against the wall. Oh, so I wasn't the only one. No, it was just, oof. I don't know what they were thinking. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting when you look at, again, you're saying when it came out in 79, they were I be, they were still heavy into that whole that whole lawsuit between TSR and Arneson on who had the rights to D&D, even right. though in all, it, it was a collaborative project between Gygax and Arneson. So... One gets the impression that at the time, maybe this was kind of Arneson's way of garnering, you know, some support and maybe money <laughs> yeah. for for him to, you know, still claim a stake in the, the fantasy role-playing field, you know. And, and technically, it was still in its infancy at the time. I mean, we're only talking, you know, five years between the original Brown books and, and – in this, you know, 1979. So it's, it's interesting to, to, to read and, and think about, yeah, this is maybe one way that, um, first edition AD and D could have gone, or at least bits and pieces of it. Hmm. What do you think, man? Yeah. It just reading through this, I'm like, well, if you were to take a role-playing game, and have it wrote, written by a war gamer who wanted to make a simulation, this is what you would end up with. Mm-hmm. It, there's just so much of... Math. Ma- lots of math, lots of division. Mm-hmm. You will take this number and divide it. There's yes, a lot you, of division and lots of multiplication. Yes. Not that that's a bad thing, thing, but it just seems... 
excessive because yeah. example when you start out with your character unless you have a specific training you're only using 75% of your strength score or your dexterity or your stamina until you get this specific training back up just a little bit so let's yeah. talk about the system itself before we get into the actual okay. statistics of the system or the numbers of the yeah. system it's basically a percentile type system right even yeah. though they use the old d20 yes the 2d20s with the where you had to actually color in the uh yeah. whether it was tens or ones mm-hmm. yeah the one that uh, they kind of i guess top secret was the first one to use that system i'm not sure exactly for a percentile system yeah uh, they, top one, secret came after this yeah, this I was would, in 79 i was looking at you know yeah since it came at 79 doing a little research a year before RuneQuest hit the market and right. RuneQuest was kind of it was a somewhat of a hybrid but the skills were all percentile it was it's by and large a percentile system so i'm kind of wondering if maybe arneson saw RuneQuest and said hmm that's interesting maybe borrow the idea of a percentile system and throw it in here who knows yeah. There was something in the forward that I saw for this book that I know that kind of felt like a dig towards TSR. And I'm looking through it right now. I don't know. Matt, did you notice that? Because I, I can't seem to find it. Yeah, it was on page one in the forward. Is that what you were talking about? Yeah, so there was a little dig in there that was about, like, I could see, like, he was like, ha ha, Gary, this is, this is you or something. Right. Yeah. The li- here, I think this is the line you're talking about. He talks about many years back, he create, him and Gygax uh, created Dungeons and & Dragons. And mm-hmm. then soon dozens of supplements and iterations were also on the scene vying for ever-growing attention to gamers throughout the world. Yet throughout this, I have felt the basic original spirit of role-playing fantasy games has not been well looked after and that there have been few real improvements to the less than perfect original system. Yeah, that was like, I read that and I was like, geez, that was direct dig at him. Well, and then it goes on to say, to yeah. this was added dozens of additional rules in a chaotic jumble that buried the original structure under a garbage heap of contradictions and confusion. Yep. So that's definitely a serious dig. Right, right yeah, there. taking a shot at all the uh, Eldric wizardry and Blackmore and all the uh, yeah, other and also brown making, books. And I'm sure this was also a dig at first edition AD&D because by 1979... Uh, the Dungeon Master's Guide was already out. Yeah, th- this was written in April 78, though. Well, he probably knew ahead of time what was coming out. Well, yeah, Player's Handbook and Monster Man was already out, so... Um, but he also... Yeah, goes, I'm sure there was a dig at AD&D. Yeah. It also goes on to saying, unless you were an expert or an experienced player, a new person would be scratching their head and not understand it. Well... <laughs> Yet, he wrote this. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, yeah... Supposedly, he, he says in his forward that you should be able to pick up this book and easily figure out how to play it, even if you've never played a role-playing game or any other or or less experienced or you know, Dungeons and Dragons play. You should be able to just pick it up and play. Mm-hmm. Which I I guess maybe I don't know. Maybe possibly right. But you get right into let's get right into the whole thing. Yeah, you get right into was it the player character. Mm-hmm. And I just noticed this. You see the four pictures? Yeah. 
You know, look on the beret of the guy on the right. Yeah. Gax. Yep. Mm. Okay. That means nothing. Sure. It doesn't <laughs> mean anything. Means absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing to see here. So that used the characters have basically let's go with four stats because one is optional, even though it seems like it's kind of important to the game. Right. Dexterity, intelligence, charisma, and stamina, aka constitution, is optional, even though the book goes on a lot of detail and bases quite a few things on the stamina stat, but it's optional. Like hit points. Yes. <laughs> or that uh you can die via natural death just randomly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that. I love that part. Like travel, pretty much. Break your character up and die. So it seems that everything's a little bit different. Uh, I was reading that instead of having for melee, you would use strength to base everything. It seems dexterity is used for hand-to-hand combat in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just found kind of odd why they use dexterity instead of strength. I guess maybe he was just trying to be different. Right. And also, just to keep everybody in mind that your primary ability scores... That's all percentile. So just keep that in mind. Percentile like, using 2d20. Right. Yeah, so you roll 2d20, and which is your percentiles, or you take two or percentile dice, if you want to just use that, to roll what your stats would be. And that's when it starts to get confusing. <laughs> yes, like when you get into charisma. Yeah. So, oh, wow. Um, let's talk stamina, because <laughs> this is where... The math starts coming. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is weird. Yes. Um, let's see. Anyone understand it? <laughs> okay, so it starts off to say this number divided by five equals the number of segments or melee rounds that the character can engage without becoming fatigued. Okay. That's kind of cool in a way. Yeah. Okay, got that. When the number is succeeded, the character will fight for or undertake activity of half effectiveness for a number of turns equal to as a stamina number. Okay. When that number is exceeded, character exhausted, no longer can fight. Okay, got that. Yeah. Uh, to recover stamina, the character must rest one turn for every turn of activity in which he has engaged, which he was engaged in the fatigue rate. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the healing surges from fourth edition. You know, you got to yeah. right. heal surge back. You can't do anything else but just do that. Yes. I did find I did find the whole stamina thing kind of interesting in a way as a different way of her combat instead of the normal just ha 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 you know right I guess he's doing like you said Matt he's a war gamer and that's how they probably figure things out in a war game yes it's it's very much more simulation and then just the, and this is where the optional stamina comes into play for the next part when determining your hit points for your hit points are your strength divided by two. Plus, your dex, uh, your stamina, your strength divided by two, plus your stamina divided by three, plus your dexterity divided by four, divided by five. And that's your hit points. Yes. Rounded up. Right. So if stamina is optional, then how do you figure hit points? I don't know. Without stamina. Well, then you just throw out the B divided by three. Of the equation, but yet you're still dividing by five, so it really knocks down everything's hit, everyone's hit points by a yeah. decent amount. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. if you say you had a stamina of 30, that would be 10 points. Well, then you divide that by five, so it ends up being two. 
you lose two hit points. And then, and then for healing, natural healing, I was just like, whoa. Yeah. You have to roll a percentile over the amount. Where is it? Uh, if your health roll two 20-sided dice. If your health is, say, 65, you have to roll... You have a 65% chance of recovering one hit point of damage per week of recuperation. Per week. And if you fail that roll, you don't gain anything back. Yep. Nothing. Just too bad. You lost. So that's natural healing in the game. Ooh, that's pretty dangerous. Then it gets into this whole soul. Yeah, that's healing. And I thought also charisma was confusing. Yeah. I I really didn't get. It's just too long to get into here. I, I think it. I think it's just too much unnecessary arithmetic. It's well, charisma. We- Maybe maybe charisma in the original game was his favorite stat, and he wanted to make it important and cool. I don't know. Yeah, but social structure, I don't really see why that's needed in the game. Yeah, I looked at that, too. That's next in this is the social structure within the basic game. It's kind of interesting to have a social status chart to go along with it, and that's okay. But what I think we might have all a... Uh, disagreement is you have the potential of your character starting out as like, you know, a baron or a king. Right. You know, that yet you th- can also get higher than that too. Yeah. Technically you could yeah. with some weird use of mathematics that I, I just don't want to right. if you go on to the next thing. Cause then you have to, after you do your social rank, say you, I don't know, say Nick is playing his character. He makes count Nick. Aha. Aha. Count Nicholas. Count uh-huh. Nick. Aha. Uh-huh. Anyway. La. And then we decide, okay, what's Nick's starting age going to be, which you have to determine as well. So Nick rolls. <laughs> say I rolled a 50. No, let's say Nick rolled higher than that. Let's say roll Nick rolled. Nick rolled. Yeah, that's what I should say. <laughs> Nick rolled a 90. So that means he gets plus four in his station or his uh, social rank. So let's see. Marquise, Duke, Prince, Crown Prince. <laughs> He just got boosted up to a crown prince. Yeah, so basically my character is a crown prince. Yep. And I get more bonuses to my uh, starting money, Um, which, yeah, I find ludicrous. I mean, you could be a prince. Our first level character, essentially, be a prince. Right. And, really? And just to show how this will just can get really goofy, depending on the roles, you could have a king and a serf in the same party. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not sure how you would explain a king running around with a party of serfs, but... I yeah, it, it just doesn't quite make it, sense, does it's, it? It's like a bad joke. A king, a serf, and a townsman walk into a bar. Yeah, and, and that essentially could happen. It's like, like the king is going to be around the common folk all the time. What I just don't the, see that. What was the second role for? Because I was looking on the social session. Is it the second role? The second role, well, well, besides, that's the multiplication factor. It's multiplied times the normal starting wealth due for a player of a particular status rank. Okay. Whatever that means. If age is 35 and rank is knight, then five times the normal starting wealth for a knight. Well, I meant on the social status table. Right, there's the two first roll, second roll. 
Yeah. Well, that that I never got either. I don't know what they meant by second role. There, I don't think I saw anything in the rules that you know explain the second role. I couldn't find anything. I don't know what that means. I'm looking over it right now because I see first role and second role, and I remembered. I'm like, oh yeah, that's a little note that I made on this PDF. What was second role for? Yeah, I never found anything either. I guess if you want to limit your game to, to certain ranks, right? Maybe Pot, I, yeah. I guess so. Maybe if you wanted it to where you wanted, you just didn't want to have anything below um, apprentice. So you couldn't start as a guildsman fighter. <laughs> Does that make sense? No. You couldn't start off as like a yeoman or a townsman. You could start at a higher rank, I suppose. Social rank. I don't it know. Doesn't it doesn't add this whole large? There's no explanation what the second role is all no. about. No, I don't see it anywhere. Right. Not even in the social status. Not even in the explanation of chart. Well, it's probably there's probably some one line in some random section in the back of the book that'll explain it, knowing the way these type of books were organized back in the day. Uh, yeah, probably be, being and concise and organized about the dungeon master's guide. Right. Yeah, this is a bit jumbled up too. I've never found the dungeon master's guide for this. I couldn't buy it anywhere, and none of my friends even had a copy of it for me to even look at. I was lucky I even got this from one of my friends who made a copy for me. I don't know where he didn't even remember where he got it from. It was this crappy paper. It was <laughs> on. So anyway, now, this is where it gets interesting. Natural death. Yeah. Kind of reminds you of traveler, huh? Yeah, it does. I was thinking the exact same thing when I read this section, folks in this game, there's a chance that your character will die just year by year. Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't matter how heroic or anything is. If you fail a certain role, your character dies. And it's first, uh, the math of these things are just amazing. I don't know what, it, how, uh. what I didn't like about this section is the grammar. It drove me nuts. Really? Yes. Now listen to this. Players are allowed a saving throw against his health rating. If the roll equals or is less to less than the, the rating of rating the player. Okay. Boy, that's hard to read. If the rolls roll equals or is less than that rating, the player will have one to six weeks of illness, but will live. Right. If the roll is greater than the health rating, the player dies of natural causes. The player dies. Not yes. the character. Yes, the player. <laughs> oh, all right. So then you actually. So the player will have one to six weeks of illness, not the character, but the player. There <laughs> really wasn't that great of editing then. Apparently not. No. So this is a very deadly game, folks. Right. If you play this, there's a chance you will die. Yeah. So can you explain to me how on the death table you're going to be anything from 0 to 16 years old if the game starts at 17? No. No. <laughs> I didn't understand Why that. Why did the table? I have no idea. Maybe if I... you wanted to use it for NPCs, maybe your character has a little baby and they're raising their little baby since you're the king and you because you rolled 100 for your status. 
And then all of a sudden you have to worry about, will your heir die because you roll, they didn't make their saving throw versus natural death. I think I call it lack of editing. <laughs> That's what I so think. They have a, a zero, zero to one. They have a 20% chance of death. Two to ten, there's a ten percent. Then eleven to sixteen, five. Seventeen to twenty-five, one. Then it goes up to two, blah blah blah, until you get up to forty-six to fifty, when it becomes an eight percent chance. But to simulate this, when the player reaches these ages, you will subtract fifty percent of the death chance from all physical characteristics. In this basic game, this means a reduction in all player characteristics except intelligence and charisma. He must really like the charisma, like you said. Well, yeah, I think he loved charisma score. No, there actually is another line saying there's another version to where they will actually lose intelligence and charisma as well, as well to uh, show. Uh, yeah, for the for the base the play of the basic game. So that means there is an advanced version. It is not necessary for the player to risk the effects of senility. So intelligence and charisma are considered immutable by age. So that means in the advanced version, you can go senile. There was an advanced version of this game? It says for play the basic game, so maybe there was meant to be an advanced version that didn't come out, or maybe in the books that we don't have, because this was actually sold in a box set of three books, that uh, maybe there's an advanced version where you can go senile. Or maybe it's poor editing. (laughs) That's just my go-to. It's just poor editing. The artwork is pretty cool in this book, though. I do like the artwork. I yeah, say. the artwork's fairly decent. Yeah. I have to admit, it's fairly decent. Kind of reminds me of the Holmes art, um, artwork and stuff like yeah. that. So well, anyway. Sickness, get starting funds. Another optional rule. Sickness affects on health. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> per week that the player is sick, he will lose one health point from his health rating. If the rating is 83 and the player is sick for three weeks, the rating will drop permanently to 80. If magic is successfully used to combat sickness, this health effect will not apply. All right. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. So if you just have a string of bad rolls, though, <laughs> yeah, you could die just due to sickness because you're permanently reduced to zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Starting funds, you pretty much figure that out. Uh, ten times the social rank in gold plus one year's income, zero for soldiers. So what, ten times zero? You get nothing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that's plus. And yet... Oh, that's well, right, ten times plus. Uh, yeah, so ten times your rank plus your year's income, but soldiers, they don't get paid. Yes. And, and, but yet, if you look onto the next section, equipping characters, all soldiers will start with a sword, helmet, small shield, and a small sack. All right, cool. So they don't need money. Screw them. Yeah, apparently they're automatically equipped with stuff. Well, they're soldiers, <laughs> so their king is going to provide for them. Oh, I suppose so. All right, now this is where... It gets insane. Wanted to bang my head against the wall because the education section, I have no idea where this even came from. I don't know either. I hate it. Yeah, so basically during character creation, to sum this up, you are role-play, you're rolling out your education. So you actually, you are from like the age of six up, uh, actually rolling for your character. And Maybe that's play. why the age is on the chart? Yeah. Well, maybe, I suppose so. Maybe that's the right. uh, justification it, of it, because you could be an apprentice, apprentice uh, somewhere, 
And at age six, and if you get a bad roll at age seven, your character dies as apprentice. Right. Roll again. Make it yeah, it reminds me of like Twilight 2000. They have yep. something similar. Or the new one, the Twilight 2003, whatever the new one was. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's like Let's just give you the basic learning formula. Oh, God. Starting your education to learn something. So you're going to take the time in months divided by the actual months studying the subject. You can divide those. And then you're going to multiply it by the course difficulty, which is listed on the chart. Get that number and minus it by the player's intelligence. And that's your basic learning formula. Everybody yeah. got that? Mm-hmm. There will be a quiz. Yes. No. It will be tested. Ten times, Nick. I want to hear it. No. Okay. I don't like uh, this. It makes my head hurt. And then there's prerequisites for certain things. Right. That, and that I understand. Right. I mean, that I, I was cool with. Yeah. But here's the thing. Mm. Besides the use of you know mathematic formulas to figure out uh, your basic learning formula, which I don't know why they just couldn't use like a straight intelligence role for everything. Um, I'm looking at like this, the, the rules for being an apprentice, being an apprenticeships. Right. Um, it says you may never complete the apprenticeship before the average time listed in the course table. Once the course is successfully completed, the player is considered to be a master of his craft and member in good standing in the craft's guild. And <laughs> there was some, oh yeah, apprenticeship restrictions. If you, uh, the penalty for breaking apprenticeship is a reduction in social rank, one full class. Did you also notice something in this book? They use one word over and over again, which I never thought was an actual word, and it was just like a. Which word is that? Irregardless. Yeah, I saw that. I <laughs> thought it wasn't a word. The player, irregardless of status, I thought. Yeah, I've seen wasn't... a couple times in the book, and I'm like, I thought irregardless really wasn't an actual word. I thought that was just something people say. Yeah. I don't know, Matt. You're more better. You're you're more better with the grammar than we are. So. Yeah. How's your grammar, foo? Well. Looking back, Irregardless actually first appeared in print in 1795. It's in most dictionaries that are listed as non-standard or incorrect. So, so they were using incorrect grammar. Correct. Okay. They, which, see, which, again, it's con they're poor, consistent though. Poor editing. They're consistent though. Consistent with the poor editing. Oh, I know. I, whenever I went to school, I was always told that regardless of the fact, but. But, uh, yeah, the apprenticeship restrictions is very long and drawn out. There's another formula. Because <gasps> if you want to ask for forgiveness, if you dropped from a, uh, if you drop from a guild, uh, you can buy forgiveness from his mas from your master. This is done. There's a chance that the lost social rank is redeemed. Yeah. The chance is equal to the player's status level times three. Not characters, players. Again. Player character. The player himself doesn't have social rank. The character does. I don't know. There's a there's a but there's a formula you gotta follow for this, and it's this again. It's time required times the monthly income for guild man mass member times two. Divide that by ten equals your penalty. It, this is just ah, lots of math. 
Example, violation of a jeweler's apprenticeship will cost the player 120 times two gold pieces times two for the total penalty of 480 gold pieces. <laughs> In the second example, violation of a sailor's apprenticeship will cost 36 times 1.5 times two or 96 gold pieces. <sighs> it's like, just role play it out, man. Why do but, you need formulas? Once the forgiveness purchase is purchased, you may never undertake this course again. You may, however, enter into other apprenticeships in a different guild. Okay. <laughs> Great. Now, when you get into the different courses, though, yeah, this is what I found even more interesting. Basically, this game, looking as far as the time required... For each of these different skills, the, I don't even see how you would have time to even go adventuring. <laughs> well, that's why you start at age six. And, like, you have your starting age, and then you start at age six. That's when you can begin your education. And the difference between the starting age you rolled and age six is the amount of time you have to learn. Well, here's the thing. If you want to learn a skill... It says right at the beginning of the skill section, while engaged in a course of study, no breaks or more of more than two consecutive weeks or a total of two months in a year may be spent on outside activities such as adventuring, healing, etc. Right. So taking that into consideration. So basically your campaigns better be super short. Right. If it's more than two months, you're you're doomed. And no more than Two more than two consecutive weeks because let's just talk about I don't know a simple uh, how to read and write right reading yep. and writing what the time required seventy two months people right really yeah. well you're not I think this game set up so once you start adventuring you don't learn anything new it's Okay, then. Well, maybe if you want to pick up something new. Okay. Let's say something like, oh, I don't know. Let's, uh, how to use just a simple club. Three months. Three months. Right. How about a spear? Now, spear is not too hard to use. Eight months yeah. to learn how to use a spear. Right. Well, it's six it months. Takes you, but three months to use a club. Yeah, six for a dagger. Yeah. I think the way this was supposed to be used was you start – say your character age is 20. You start at age six, and you say, okay, I want to learn to read. That's 72 months. So six years plus your, the 72 months, which is another six, seven years. So that puts you at age 13. You now know how to read. So that gives you another seven years of learning stuff. So then I'll be like – Okay, I'm 13, at which point I'll do physical training one. That puts me at 13 and a half, 13 years, six months. Physical training two, 14. You're forgetting starting age. You could be older than six. Right, but no, for purpose of skills, you start at age six. Where does it say that? Ah, where was that? Yeah. Because that's how I thought it was supposed to work. Oh, that's how you thought it was. That's not what it said in the rules, though. Right. Uh, where did I find that age six? Because otherwise, this makes no sense at all. 
Because it doesn't. Because there's nothing I could see that says that, see that learning either. skills at age six. Okay, let's see here. Starting education. Uh, this is determined by the player's starting status. Two points of status. The player is allowed one year of education. These right. years may be used to gain player skills. If you use education to gain knowledge uh, as a magician, it's three. The player will receive no education for the first six years of life. In in starting education, a maximum amount of education is determined by the player's age minus six. Okay. Okay. The player, irregardless of status, may never start with more years of education than this. Okay. So you got let's say my starting age was twenty. Right. Okay. So you gotta take that minus six. six. So you're allowed fourteen years, years of education. Of education. With okay. Now what if I wanted to read or write? Okay, That's so, 72 months. So, right. So, at that point, seven years have been sucked up just learning to read and write. So, not only you learn one skill. Right. Well, no, you That's still... That's stupid. At, yes. At that point, you still, though, have <laughs> no, six I'm years. Not, you still have six years, stupid. at which point, after that, once you learn to read and write, you could spend the other six well, years. Uh, so, I can learn what? A sailor. You can be a husbandry. You can... For husbandry is two years, so okay, that leaves you with four more years, at which point you could also decide to become a blacksmith, which is three years, and you still have one year left. So I can maybe learn how to use a shield and a dagger. Yeah. That's stupid. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's how it's supposed to work. So it's not like you start at age 20, then you learn all your stuff. You learned all your stuff prior. I'm glad you found that. We figured that there's – you're like in an apprenticeship and you're learning things. But basically how you laid it out is I was a guy who had – I learned how to sail, but I'm also a blacksmith. I know how to read and write, but I can use a shield and a dagger. And I have no idea how to add one plus one because you didn't take figure Ninth arithmetic. Grade and right. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is stupid. No. <laughs> well, there was. Um, I just found a, a little quote from Dave Arneson back in uh, 2009. Yeah. He said that he was probably going to offer AFI as a PDF in a few months, and again, it was incomplete because there were no follow-on products. One of the great lawsuits. One of the great lawsuits was involved, so no follow-up products. Sadly, this, the sales were pretty bad, too. However, a lot of ideas were there. Not sure as to who will provide the PDF. So this could explain a lot about this. Yeah, I mean, but even later on, if you wanted to learn a skill, like how to use a bow, it takes three years to learn how to use a bow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Three years to learn how to use a bow. Uh-oh. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, and that's what I mean. Later on, after you complete your character, the whole uh, the whole time required puts a huge crutch on the adventuring of the party. Right, and you, you couldn't go out and adventure. Yeah. You're constantly in school. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but before you learn to use that bow, though, you have to learn physical training. One, that's a prerequisite. Yeah. So that's another six months. So you've eaten up three and a half years of your life learning how to use a bow yep. before you can go and use it so you can go and get into the dungeon. Yeah. And learn how to use your awesome bow but skill. Then when you just 
I think he has a very interesting mindset on how difficult using a bow is because even when you looked at the construction of a bow and the time it would take, it was something ridiculous. No, 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 no. It's a, that's this is just how to use a bow. Nothing about right, br- right. But it was, I'm I was talking about how to use one. Uh, I'm trying to. It, it was a child can learn how to use a bow in a weekend. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> At least point and shoot. <laughs> but 36 months. I guess maybe that was a little much. A little. Yeah. <laughs> how about a lot. Uh, and there were some other little things that were some bad editing, like, oh, where was it, for example? Uh, how to ride a horse, one. they And then the, in the description, they immediately changed calling it to level one horsemanship. Well, which one is it? How to ride a horse or level one horsemanship? Because it then goes on to horsemanship two and three. So <laughs> we'll just change terms in mid-stride we didn't like how to ride a horse sound so we'll just call it level one horsemanship right in the uh in the text that sounds good well for those out there that are really interested in finding this game you will not find it for one but you can look to dragons at twilight because that was a kind of a retro clone Mm -hmm. dave arneson inspired rpg based on blackmore and everything that he did so you can check that out if you want yeah. to interested more about this because nothing else really ever came out. Yeah. At least I can't find it. I know there were three no. books, like Matt said. Yeah, they came out in a box, yeah. Uh, Adventures of Fantasy, and there was the Adventure Games box set. Uh, where is it? Book of Adventure, Book of Fairy, spelled with two R's, and Fairy and Magic, and Book of Creatures and Treasure. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, f- I found what I was looking for. Preparation time in weeks of a longbow. 100 weeks. It takes 100 weeks for a skilled craftsman to make a longbow in this world. Wow. A composite bow is 130 weeks. So no wonder it takes you that long to learn to use a bow. Apparently, these are highly complicated devices. If it- I, I, I detect a hint of sarcasm in your voice. Just a smidge. <laughs> I also found some other things, just little nitpicky, I guess, grammatical things, things left off tables like under, what is it, the general supplies? Well, a 10-foot pole is free. I've given that, but five torches are free. Apparently, they just give out torches left and right. Well, I mean- <laughs> so, I don't know. <laughs> and then it's, oh, the description for the, a lantern cost is one. One what? I'm assuming gold. Okay, assume gold. Was it one? One what? Is <laughs> every? It says right there. It says cost in gold. Everything's cost. No, it says cost. Doesn't say cost in gold. It says cost in GP for everything else on table C. I'm looking at table D. Oh, table D. Sorry. Table D for for other equipment. All right. Yeah. Space. Everything else. It's silver, so, copper. Lantern is one. Okay, one copper. Awesome. They're cheap. I I don't know. Maybe make it up yourself. I suppose so. (laughs) Maybe it's in the description. Oh, wait, there is no description. Never mind. Oh, never mind. There's no description. Then it goes right into basic castle types. He really got into the whole 
uh, like wargaming aspect of this later on. But it was kind of weird because, like, after we get to the, you know, you get into the equipment and the general supplies, and then you get right into the, there's an encumbrance table. Yeah. And then after that, setting up the campaign. The encumbrance table, more math. Yeah. Head hurt. And then it goes into this campaign section, right? Yeah. Uh, and, the sample campaigns are called Bleakwood. Yeah. Um, which I didn't have a problem with. You know, I thought it was a, I thought it was interesting with the different months and the days of the year and how it all it makes it easy at least to figure everything. I wonder if the time scale under optional had another thing supposed to be rid of there because due to the parentheses the other way. Oh, yes. <laughs> I know. It's just a mistake. I'm kidding. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. That was another editing mistake. But I, I thought it was kind of cool that he gave a calendar and mm -hmm. it, the, the seasons, which I like to see that type of stuff because it's something good to mine for ideas for your game. Sure. Yeah. You know, it gives it gives any sort of stuff like this. If you first tracking time and when things are happening, kind of gives a little more uh, depth to the game and the game world. You know, besides the the mechanics of everything. And each month has four weeks. Each uh, week has seven days, and all of them have right. names. It gets into the description of Mirkwood into this dungeon. I just thought the placement of it was odd. Yeah. It's kind of like right in the smack in the middle of the book. You would think something like this would be at the end. You know? Yeah. I just thought that was really weird because after this section, I think it goes into the whole, um, cause after it talks about, <laughs> I love his little example, uh, an 80 foot long dragon in a 10 by 10 room. It's just a little hard to explain. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. It is About as much as his education rules. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, dig it, Arneson, but hey, this is. Oh, well, at least it could be a sample map of yeah. uh, Underground Lair, which is kind of cool. Very basic, though. Very basic, and that's okay. You know, got a, a huge lair, Dragon's Lair, with the horde in the center, labeled Horde. That or that or it's somebody's fingerprint they put there by accident went, oh, crap. And let me yeah, it almost let does me look like a fingerprint hold. smudged. Yeah, it looks like someone's smudged fingerprint. They went, okay, let's just make it the horde, and we'll slap yeah. a piece of paper over it. Cool. It actually looks like a piece of paper taped over it. Well, well remember, this was back in 79, so we didn't have, they didn't have access to really good graphics. So Still, it's lopsided. Yeah, well, what are you going to do? Uh, but... That, um, the location number of the chart, they pretty much go into the detail, which is very basic. Mm-hmm. This is one of those, just fill it in yourself. Now, for the most part, yeah. And it talks, and then it goes into a section on underworld encounters beyond the dragon's lair. Mm. So I'll talk a little bit about how to set up basically dungeon environments. There's some charts, and they have some different creatures associated with it. Most of them are obviously lifted from D&D. &D. Some of them have been maybe renamed a little. 
Well, we shouldn't say they lifted from D and D because you can't. I think most of these creatures were just taken from from uh, token fantasy. Well, and, yeah, and also yeah. general fantasy stuff. So, yeah, yeah. Um, Instead of the drow, they're black elves. Why they got to be black? I don't. That's what they're called. They say oh. they're black elves. Oh, okay. And then apparently Al is a wandering monster as well. Yes, Al the wandering monster. I saw that too on the chart. Like, like oh. Al from Happy Days? Possibly, maybe Al Bundy. It just says Al. So I guess you m- meet a random Al. If we were the monster book, we could figure out what an Al is. Yes. You know who would be a good person to ask about this? And I'm, I'm sorry that we weren't able to get him on the show because he lives, I think, across seas. Havard. Okay. You know who I'm talking about, Nick from. Uh, yeah, I do. Why would uh, why would he be knowledgeable on this? Well, he's a huge uh, Dave Arneson uh, fan. Oh, so he's probably got uh, he's probably got some inside scoop on some of this stuff. Yeah, and he has he has like a blog pretty much dedicated to all this and and more. Yeah, instead of uh, doppelgangers are called ch- changelings, but doppelganger wasn't. That's a German term. For, for a shapeshifter, I think. Yeah. Ginga. Yeah, Havard has a whole blog called Blackmore Blog, so he's yeah. heavily into Dave Larson's world. So he would probably know a lot more about this. So they talk about the dungeon encounters. Then it goes on to outdoor. And a lot of time is spent on evasion. Yeah, a lot of time. And this is where I think Arneson definitely shows his wargaming background. You know, looking at this and after looking at Boot Hill, I'm kind of like, hmm. <laughs> Boot Hill doesn't look so bad? No, Boot Hill doesn't look bad anymore. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at, like, in this section on outdoor encounters where he talks about arms and equipment of soldiers. This is something Arneson had some knowledge on, you know, the different types of mounted troops, the dismounted troops, what they're equipped with, you know, chance a soldier having a shield, that and all the percentages and everything. This is definitely something that would be similar you'll be fine in any sort of war gaming as uh, any sort of war game, you know. Mm-hmm. And um a lot about troops, mounted troops. Oh my gosh, they have hinds yeah. as as wandering monsters. So they have hind helicopters. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> and then it goes into the um different various monsters, other creatures, table and what an LYC. Lick? Link. Yeah. Lick? Oh, and Life like the corp, I bet. Because in one of the it has a dot in if you look under clear and look for like, it has LYC period. Yeah, I see that. And then other ones do not. Maybe that means like canthrope. Right. Okay, lycanthropy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yet they were referring to them as where on the other table. And then Al shows his rear, re- rears his head again. Yeah. Al. Al's back again. And then trowel, whatever that is. Troll and an owl. Uh, that was a typo. I don't know. That that might have been a typo, actually, because I'm looking just quick scan. I'm not seeing another trowel anywhere. Oh no, actually, I do. Mountain. There's that trowel again. 
Hmm. I'm trying to figure it out myself. <laughs> yeah, this is just, and it gets like when you talk about the evasion stuff. That's obviously Which, something that was lifted from like a wargaming background. Yeah. Did you see anything in this book other than under monsters about alignment? No, no, I think it was in another book that came in the box and when they talk about because I just see law and neutral and chaos here and I'm just like, whoa, where did that come from? <sighs> I think it's really in the wargaming stuff. Tactical and strategic movement in the game. A little much for me. You know, and I find it interesting, you know, because you go all the way to that introduction, that that four where I, he he says that, you know, there's too many chaotic rules and that were added and blah, blah, blah in the original D&D. But now you get into tactical and strategic movement in the game and it's, I think he's kind of contradicting himself. Well, that's because I think this is something that he personally enjoys. So therefore it doesn't seem complicated or too much because this is what he really likes and what he kind of nerds out on. Right. I really did enjoy the map of Bleakwood that he actually had drawn out. Yeah, that was kind of cool. Yeah, I like maps that like that. They actually yeah. show it's this green forest with a bunch of trees and there's a mountain and there's the a little giant's hickey. I like that giant's hickey. And Sam Sloth, Frog Bottoms, Eli's yeah. Bog. It's kind of like if you ever Saint Cooth, not Saint Cuthbert, but Saint Cooth. The map reminds you of a map how they would draw it back during that time. They just put a giant little tower with a mountain next to it and put blah, blah, blah's tower. And then just put a line through the woods that they drew a little wood thing saying Sherwood Forest and here's Camelot. No real depth to the scale. Just this is how you get to it. Mm-hmm. Like a pirate's map kind of thing. Yeah. It's kind of cool. It's not the scale or anything. It's just give you a general idea where things are. Shrine of St. Cooth. Yes. Cuthbert. But there is later on a map that is in hex. Yes. So if you want something more tactical, you can use that too. But I like that map, the other one, just kind of the hand-drawn. On page 42, there's a reference to Al. Page 42? Yes. The the creature's having scavenged one silver piece, 12 copper pieces, and a dagger with a plus 1% chance to hit. Of hits. Okay. Must be in the other... Must be in the other book. Yeah. It doesn't really say where Al is. Oh, I find this interesting. Did you see the basic game foraging rules? Yes. I love what happens if you're in the city. If you do a bad roll, you're in the garbage. Roll versus health. (laughs) (laughs) You're foraging in garbage if you roll a one to three. Uh, and you might die. Then it goes into more detail about the map, talking about the Tower of the Sorcerer Alhaza. Mm-hmm. Kalima. And it goes, <laughs> breaks Kalima. down. Kalima. It breaks down the tower for you, which is kind of cool to see how a tower is broken down. Mm-hmm. If you want to use it for your game, you did a basic thing of the, uh, I guess, a, a magic symbol, and then the next floor, and the next floor, and the next floor, and then the ground floor, and then... The, the basement in the tower. Every tower is incomplete without a basement. Um, but where's this laboratory? Uh, isn't that his bathroom? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, that's lavatory. Never mind. 
Um, I don't know where it is. Yeah. <laughs> like top floor, maybe? I don't know. Yes, the, yes, that's where his laboratory is. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> hey, the module we talked about last week had a laboratory in it. It actually did? Yes, it did. As you're going through the old monastery, there actually was a laboratory. So, yeah. There's no laboratory, so I guess that was part of his magical powers is not having to use the bathroom. Well, probably not. No, he just went out the side. Out the window. Out the window. Okay. Even though there's no markings for windows in the tower. So let's... Now, combat. Yes, this was needlessly complicated, too. Yeah. Um, Determine all the basic body types of the creature. Subtract the dexterity. Divide by four. Round down. Hang yourself in the corner, and then hopefully your character dies with you. <laughs> no, the right. player dies. That's Never what the character. It's always the player. Right. <laughs> no, you just said, and hopefully the character dies with you. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yes. Because, again, he says, because the maximum is exceeded in the combat, the player whose dexterity is 89, not the character. Oh, my God. It's the okay. character, okay. not okay. the player. <laughs> A player with a dexterity of 89 engages in combat with a bandit whose dexterity is 23. Okay, we got that. Should be character, but we understand. The difference between 89 and 23 is 66. You divide this by 4, which gives you 16 and a half. You drop the 5 immediately. And this rig is a little more complicated. Because the maximum is exceeded in the combat, the player whose dexterity is 89 will only add 10 to his chance to hit the bandit. In addition, the bandit will subtract 10 from his basic chance to hit the player. This maximum dexterity bonus will apply for all physical combat in the game. Okay. Did you get that? No. Just give me a chart. I think I'm going to go I think I'm going to go play champions where the math is simpler. <laughs> Man. And then it goes into further about health. An elf with the average hit point of 9 is fighting an ogre whose average hit point class is 30. The difference is 21. This is divided by two yields of the result of 11. Huh? Thus, the elf's chance to hit the ogre is increased by 11%, while the ogre's chance to hit the elf is reduced by a maximum of 10%. I don't get it. I don't get it either. I read that this whole thing about how combat works four or five times, and I was kind of lost. I mean, maybe I'm stupid. But, no, um, this is needlessly um, okay. complex. Yeah. And I'm sure everyone out there is saying, yes, you are stupid. Yes. No, well, no, no. Well, there is a min and max. You have a No matter what the difference is, the minimum to hit chance is 2%, and the maximum to hit sa- I mean, chance is 98. So I, that's where some of the capping comes in. I thought the maximum was 10%. Uh, no, it's uh, at the, right. towards the bottom of page 48. It says... Uh, likewise, irregardless of the preponderance of disadvantages <laughs> modifiers, the pile up against a creature or player, the poor thing will always have a minimum of 2% chance to hit. Gotcha. And then it gives you a little bit of a, a chart here, human versus whatever, and they list a bunch of things. Like different body types. Yeah, so human a human body type is a basic 35% chance of hitting a snake body type. So a human versus a snake is a 35% chance. The snake 
has a 75% chance of hitting a human. The basic body type reflects the normal attributes, toughness, etc., generally found in creatures of that type, including in the basic game. Again, reference to maybe possibly an advanced game. <sighs> so combat sequence goes as follows. Magic point allocation, basically whatever magic is in this, because we've never found that book. Mm. Then after magic, you would go to the elf splat slash split movement option. So I guess elf has an option of moving part one here, part two, which I've seen in some games. Mm-hmm. Then it's the normal movement, which everybody moves. Then it's missile fire. Then it's the effects of the magic that you did. And then it's regular combat. Okay. Okay. That seems pretty easy enough, right? More or less. And then we got the luck of the Irish rule. Yeah. Oh, the luck of the Irish. Where did that come from? I don't know. I think it came from Ireland. Nick, you want to go over the luck of the Irish rule before I throw the book? (laughs) So hit chance limits. Or the luck of the Irish rule. And this was under this. And he uses the word irregardless again. I I told you. Yeah, irregardless of the bonuses or minuses which may accumulate for or against a player, not character, but player. Yeah, again. We, oh my yeah, god. Yeah. Creature of any a player, creature or any other thing that will always be a minimum and a maximum chance to hit. So the maximum normal chance to hit is equal to ninety eight percent. If a scaled creature has eighty has an eighty base plus twenty five percent in advantageous multiple oh god i've already got no <laughs> I've, I've already lost myself yeah. if a scale creature has an 80 base plus 25% in advantageous multiplier the minor chance to miss is still retained the chance to hit is 98% not 105% likely wise irregardless hmm. of the preponderance of disadvantages modifiers the, that pile up against a creature or player, the poor thing will always have a minimum of two. So that means no matter how much the maxes will always be 98, the minimums will always be two. I guess that's what the luck of the Irish rule is. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. All I know, he used the word irregardless twice and player when he means character. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. And of course, though, there's now even... Now I want ex- to kill. Yeah. Yeah, there's an exception to this, though, because the only... Oh, God, there's an exception? Yes, the only way this rule ever fails to apply is in the application to the effects of magic or to the special artifacts whose explanations explicitly state that a weapon or effect has a 100% probability of hitting a target or causing victim to miss his target. Oh, goody. That sounds you sound like the comic book guy from The Simpsons. Is it matter of a fact? Fact. There's an exception. <laughs> there's an exception to the rule. That's Spider-Man number 127. Worst comic book ever. And worst role-playing game ever. Yeah. Uh, uh, There's an optional rule with hit location, which... Why does... Okay. So I assume that human stands for any demi-human, any humanoid race. Any humanoid... Yeah, anything with a humanoid body type. So I don't ask about centaurs. Yeah. So human is basically representing anything of those races. So whatever race, human, boom, you're using that chart. So you take two 20-sided dice to determine the type of damage you're going to use if you're using this optional hit rule. 
So if you roll your percentile, you can get upwards <laughs> of your frustration. It's if I don't get this game at all. I mean, I, I understand Dave was trying to do something different, and I give him a hundred percent props for trying to outdo Gary probably at this point in his career. And I give him lots of props for making Dungeons and Dragons with Gary, but this is just like insane. It is. Stand it, and I think we need an actual play podcast of this. Oh no, 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 no! And then I won't. I will not participate. Matt, you can run that podcast because I am not running. <laughs> I, I, I would rather play uh, World of Cinnabar than this. Yeah. So you can get one d four damage or one d six. Or I'm assuming that is because it says one times. Yes. 1d8, 1d10, 1d12, 2d10, or special. Special. This indicates a hit of the creature that reduces its dexterity and or mobility. Roll one ten-sided dice, which all of a sudden the ten-sided dice exists now. Yeah. Uh, for the number of dexterity points lost. Roll one six-sided die for the number of damage points lost. Roll two twenty-sided dice again. If the roll would again inflict a special damage hit, then the creature will lose half of its basic movement and the other results are ignored. And then it goes to a big giant description that I want to just stab myself 47 times for reading it. Tell oh, the note? Yeah. Oh, how to play without four, six, eight, or 12 sided dice? Yeah, if you lack these dice. No, who cares? Move on. Missile fire. <laughs> if you lack these dice then you shouldn't be playing this game. Move on. <laughs> I'm going to say probably back then it was hard to get these dice. Yeah. Which In is 1979? Why, well, that's probably why they had chits at one point. Yeah, I yeah. So I'm guessing that this is the reason why. And, and I just wanted to say, why would you play them? At this point, don't even play. Well, just, here's the thing. Chit, chits. If just, you can't get four, six, eight, or 12-sided dice to play this game... Then Hockham, it says in the note, if you lack four, six, eight, or 12-sided dice, take the 20-sided one provided with the game. Why did you provide the other dice in the game? <laughs> I don't know. Right. They did this with a bunch of games. Did, yeah, it was it was, pro- they, it was probably some sort of, like, cost-saving measure, maybe. Why didn't that's they so have different. the other dice in the box? Well, that's how Top Secret did it. That's how later on... Uh, uh, Boot Hill's during the same time frame. Boot Hill did two twenty sided with the tens but on you it. You can't so. get your standard six sided die in a box. Well, you they can go- get a twenty sider, but not a six. I don't know. I don't know. I never got a box. I never knew about this game until you sent it to me, <laughs> and I can understand why. I don't think hardly anybody bought it. No, it. it uh, when I read that quote a second ago, well, maybe ten fifteen minutes ago, Dave said the sales were very poor. So. Yeah, I wonder why. And there were two two editions of this game, too, by the way. Wow. Yeah. The first edition was made by uh, Dave, and I think we're reading the first edition right now, and then it later on became Arneson's Adventures in Time Incorporated game or Adventures Incorporated company. I don't know, Matt, you have to look that one up exactly. Yeah, yeah, because there was the two versions by published by two different companies. Yeah. So Missile Fire... Yes, needlessly complicated. Next. <laughs> um, uh, basic combat system optional. Right. Yeah. Um, don't get it. Hit probability modifiers according to type and area used. 
outdoors or large rooms larger than a 20 by 20 room get plus 10 for very long five for long medium zero short negative 10 this is all using a bow or cross yeah i guess yeah this is used in the missile combat. which just makes sense this part you know the i guess so yeah mm-hmm. you get negatives to hit how far it is versus right you know if it's so if you're attacking in a large room you get that if you're attacking in a normal room that a quarter if you're attacking in a door you get minus 10 is that what that means yeah i guess shooting through a door maybe oh i thought maybe you're like actually in the door Door. oh yeah you're in the doorway shooting yeah you're in the doorway (laughs) yeah okay that makes more sense in the doorway not in the door itself but it should have said doorway yeah, obviously, you're supposed to figure that out. It's like you're you... shooting a door. Yeah, ooh, okay. <laughs> they have terrain effects on combat, which we're all familiar with. It's pretty much the same. Yeah. All minuses for different various things, such as, you know, swamps, hills, swamps. Sorry, I said swamps again. Open terrain and rock and bushes, cover. The basic things we see. Sorry, Nick? Yeah, just, yeah, all the other stuff, yeah. I'm sorry. And then there's the optional two-handed combat, which... I just stare at it and I go, what? Yeah, well, it says the dagger can be used in conjunction with the sword, hand axe, club, or shield to allow the player an additional attack. So does that mean when you have shield there, can you use a shield as an attacking weapon too? I guess so, yeah. Maybe as a shield bash. I guess so. Okay, that's kind of (laughs) cool. And then it has an example of the use of stamina in combat. Yikes. Yikes, yes. Omar the Swordsman is meeting the charge of a maniacal Count Horus Horus up the stairs of his sorcerer's tower. Omar has a stamina of 54. Horus has a stamina of 32. There's your little NPR for you there. (laughs) In the first rush, Omar and Horus exceed five points each. Omar is now at 49. Horus at 27. They both tee off. What a shit. It's on the green. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Nick, you want to take over on this one? Well, yeah, he go the, the first rush, Omar and Horace expend five points each. Omar is now 49, Horace at 27. After two more segments of melee, Omar is relieved on the steps by Horl. He's relieved on the steps. Okay. Just go wherever <laughs> you want on this castle. Yeah, hey, stamina is eighty-eight. No, <laughs> notice it's Horl, not Horus. Yes, where did this evil twin? Yeah, on the they... turn that Omar moves away, he has not attacked and thus regains two of his fifteen expended stamina points. The two is bolded, folks. On the next turn, he will not move and will again regain three more. Horus, on the other hand, has no chance to respite, and by the time that Omar has regained five of his fifteen expended points. Horus is left with a mere seven remaining stamina. Five turns at five points per turn. For the result of lowering stamina to zero or below to combat, see the strength section in the character setup section or take the book and throw it in a corner. So basically you have a tag team partner like in wrestling, Matt. You tag out and the other guy rests and the other guy fights. And then when he gets tired, he tags again. Yeah, pretty much. Exactly. And you have to do the hand slap so the referee sees it. Otherwise, yeah. you just make the sound behind the ref's back like right. that. Yeah. And yeah. thinks you made a tag. <laughs> what if you grab a chair and hit the guy with a chair, though? 
that's cost two stamina points. Oh, okay. Now we have more optional stuff for combat. Yeah. Uh, armor savings are optional, which I, w- I could see armor helping. The chance of blows being deflected. Yeah, you know, this was used in the uh, Hackmaster 4th edition, kind of. Oh, really? Your, your, your armor would take damage and it would... Um, degrade? Yeah, it would degrade over time. Because oh, okay. it absorbs X amount of hit points. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of that's similar to how uh, the Palladium system works. The armor actually has its own uh, structural damage capacity, as it's put in that game. Basically, hit points. Wasn't this in that game we reviewed to Dragon Age or Dragon something? Or... Oh, uh, one we did a while back. Talislandia? No, it was or... Dragon something. Yeah. Or Dragon, uh... Dragon Dragon Quest. Dragon Quest. Yes, yes, there you go. Yeah. yeah, I remember seeing copies of Dragon Quest. It had something like that, too. And then we have a strength bonus, which is another optional rule. Mm-hmm. I wonder why he... Hmm. Oh, okay. Why strength bonus would be an option and not included in a regular game? I have no idea. Maybe that's part of the advanced game. I'm not sure. Maybe. No, I wasn't being sarcastic right now. Just maybe that's part of the advanced game. Why this is optional. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with the strength bonus, so notice it says when in reference to creature, one hit die creatures will inflict one half normal damage. And it actually, you, it, you're considered stronger by the number of hit dice you have if you're a creature. It, mm-hmm. So you're not going to, so yeah, I just think that's a little strange. So you can't have a 10 hit dice creature who doesn't hit really hard. Uh, I guess so. Like yeah. job of the hut. Right. Or, yeah, sort of like maybe some frail old magic user is going to hit, punch you in the face a lot harder than a first level fighter. Oh, yeah, like Mr. Smithers. Like, he's really high and powerful, but very weak. When he right. hits, he goes, eh. Right. Because, <laughs> yeah. yeah, if he has more than three hit dice, he'll inflict double the normal damage. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Yes. So let's get into how to gain experience. Oh, this was... Mm, okay. <laughs> how a warrior gains experience. The formula goes as follows. Wait, hold on to your hats, folks. Losers hit chance divided by victors hit chance times... Lo- LD. Losers hit dice. Losers hit dice divided by victors hit dice times... Level of experience of loser divided by victor's experience of level equals victor's experience increase level. I don't get it. Why? Yeah. It. Yeah. So, and, and here's the thing. Yeah, you take that loser's hit chance divided by the victor's hit chance. You take that number. You multiply it the uh, more math. <laughs> no chart or a simple die roll it's experience points just have a chart (laughs) you divide the victor by the loser multiply it by the hit dice then by the level and that's the experience the victor gets yay yay but it's just it's it's more math more the game is supposed to be quick and easy to play right I, I feel because I feel like the guy sitting in the chair on this picture right now, on the top of this page. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So lunched over to the side, one hand and arm going, "What the hell is going?" 
this? What is he saying? Yes. Why? Uh, and then there's a reputation. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, because you can gain reputation. Yeah. Where did that come from? <laughs> I don't know. It's it's an interesting mechanic. I can see that's kind of like honor or fate. right. But where did it come from? Right. And it also said in regard. Yeah, this is the first mention of it. And also, this reputation has nothing to do with actually what you do in combat. It's all about who saw what you do or how you brag about it. Yeah, that's bragging rights. Right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Then you can increase your social rank. But what does this reputation do, though? It. Well, let's see. Um, this uh, it, uh, um, uh, it helps you maybe increase in social status. Uh, well, I, if you get caught lying about your reputation, you lose some experience, and you have to get neutral observers to verify your success to increase your reputation again. Mm. I also found out in this game, when it comes to character classes, there was only two. It seems like there's only yeah. two. Magic. Fighter and magic user. Yeah. That's it. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty it, much. And the magic Both user things. gains experience through the successful use of their magical abilities. And they have their own way of getting experience. experience. Yes. They and, don't have the magic book, so we have no clue. Yeah. Yes, just from the little description here. Gaining new spells. Gain non-alignment spells or spells of another alignment. Your experience gain is equal to the magic point value of the spell divided by 10. If it's a six-point spell, you receive six experience points. So basically, you gain points by casting spells. Does that mean you also gain points through combat, or do you only gain experience through casting spells? Because otherwise, magic users will probably level really fast. It doesn't matter if they're combat spells or not. You always gain experience for casting spells. Right, so you could basically sit back and cast Prestidigitation for, like, (laughs) eternity and become, like, a 20th level magic user. It doesn't matter how mundane. Yeah. Cast sleep all your days. Sleep in heavenly peace. <laughs> create water. Create water. Create water. Yes. So then you can also increase your social rank, and that basically is increased by when you increase your level. Yes. Every time you increase your level by one, you gain one more point because every chart has next to the ranking or the social ranking has a number. And uh, for instance, if you want to go to a squire, to a baron, you need nine social points. And uh, in the chart, it would go from 15 to 20 to 25, like that. And every time you gain a level, you gain that next rank until you finally make it to the rank that you want, I guess. I suppose. Yeah. So, and there's a little section on NPCs, which I don't think any of us really care about. (laughs) Okay. And, well, I just, so what does all this mean? This whole game, adventures in fantasy. I mean, what can we take from this? Because I'm sure everybody listening at home or in their cars are going, oh, my God. <laughs> or, also, one thing that you, 
Is the character class a magician or a magic user? Yes. Okay. Just like player or character is obviously interchangeable in this game and system. Is it a fighter or is it a warrior? Because they yes. reference the same term in the same paragraph more than once for fighters or warriors and magicians that are magic users and they go switch between the two as if it's they don't care. Yeah. I, yeah. W- I wonder. The answer is yes. Yeah. I almost wonder if for the advanced games, if it were to ever actually exist, it was uh, maybe like Warrior was like a heading of uh, the main heading of a class. And then underneath it, you had like Fighter, Barbarian or something like that. And Magic User would have been something similar. Maybe that. I don't know. Well, here's. Here's how I kind of look at this. Oh, Uh, cool thing at the very end that a player character with a higher social rank may grant to the other player characters of lesser social rank a boon that they seem team fit to grant so basically you could raise the social rank of somebody else if you're a high social rank yay so if you're like a baron you can pretty much make somebody a knight you're right Oh, so like that king that's in the party with all those serfs, you can immediately make them barons. Right. Well, actually, you can go farther (laughs) because it says the in no case may the boon grant the player character receiving more money or social rank than the granting player. So that has to give. So that means they could, in theory, make them barons as well or make them kings. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So the king with like four other players in the party because they're not characters they're players but if you, you can say okay you're all kings now right the only catch <laughs> the, the oh, only but. catch is they there is a section talking about when you go up in rank you basically have to figure out like if say it's uh you gain okay. a social status where you get uh territory you have to figure out how much total territory the person granting this has and then you have to split it up but there's also the percentage chance of 2% chance that the title is vacant, too. Ah. True. Well, I mean, theoretically, you can have, like, you know, King Hubla blah, blah, blah. You know, he's, oh, well, I have all these serfs. I'm going to grant you all the boon. You're all kings now. You're <laughs> King Vitamin. You're, and you're the king of mattress sellers. <laughs> but, no, you're going to be a captain. Your name is Captain Crunch now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. And, so, and you are Count Chocula. Count Chocula. So we have Count Chocula, Captain Crunch, and King Vitamin. <laughs> <laughs> Old fish cereals yeah. in your party. Yes. I'm sorry. I had to give some levity in this because this thing is making my head hurt. You're not the only one. And people mm. complain about High Guy Gaxian. What about this yeah. High Arniston? Well, it's just for <laughs> editing. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yes, because, you know, in this game, the player could die. <laughs> yep. It contract a disease, the player may die. I just look at it this way. I'm thinking in the historical context, uh, just the game. You know, you're talking 1979. Arneson was in the middle of that lawsuit, and he's like, you know what? I really, really got to get something out now to say, you know what? This is my game. This is what... I wanted to do this is so I have the feeling that this adventures in fantasy was, was a rush job. Mm-hmm. There was very little editing, very little play testing. 
I think they took, on my opinion, I think they might have taken some ideas from RuneQuest when it came out the year previous. And because it's a percentile system, I think they just stuck a bunch of things together that seemed to work mathematically. But in playing, it just bogs everything down. And I just saw very little of any role-playing stuff in here at all. It's mostly just rules. And um, the little role-playing stuff I saw was in that middle section about that that village and that mm-hmm. sample map with the with the dragon's lair. But yeah. I mean, that's how I see it. I mean, I could, could be completely wrong, completely off base, but... I just think this was a rush job to try to get some money and still keep his name in the game as far as role-playing games were concerned. I wonder how some of the rules in this compare to what was in the uh, Little Brown uh, Blackmore supplement. If you you can see uh, certain concepts introduced in there fleshed out more. I'm not really familiar with it, so I really don't know if there is anything that you can see is this expanding upon, but I think that might be something just to get in uh, even more into the mindset of Arneson, especially considering with the lawsuit going on, I, he probably went out of his way to do things different than oh, he had to legally do things completely different. Right. So due to that, I wonder, I think Blackmore looking at this and Blackmore and the similarities might give a better um, mindset into it. No, because no. Blackmore, I have a copy of it right here. It, indu- it introduced two new characters, the monk and the assassin. Mm-hmm. Uh, introduced a few more rules, like for surprise, or opening locks. I'm sorry, it gets into the, the monk and how, how they're handled with their opening locks and what have you. And it talks about the assassin, um, how they're handled. And then... The black, a little bit more in the Blackmore supplement, they have a hit location table. Mm-hmm. So that was in there. You also have um, within Blackmore supplement, I'm sorry, let me get back to the index. There were a few new monsters. Um, and there, and there was a, there was an advent, basically the very first adventure ever published scenario, Temple of the Frog. Okay. So outside of really like the uh, hit location table, there was nothing really introduced no. in that that would. There was, uh, far as monsters, you know, there's giant versions of regular creatures. Yeah. You got, um, the Umber Hulk, you have all your, di- a lot of the dinosaurs, the Sahuagin in there, aquatic elves. So, and then after that, it really gets into the a um, uh, little bit on underworld uh, adventures, and it gets into Temple of the Frog. Okay. So there really isn't anything to blend it into adventures and fantasy besides the hit location, but and and which is completely different anyway. So yeah, completely different. Hmm. So I don't know what what what's your take on this uh, Vince as far as the game over- entirely in itself? Yeah, and I yeah. Well, like I said in the beginning, the lawsuit was happening. Yeah, all covered. 
Mm-hmm. Arneson was trying to. I, I agree with you with the one point. Arneson was trying to keep his name. Uh, Dave Arneson was trying to keep his name in the uh, the business out mm-hmm. there. I think he gathered up with somebody in an attempt to get his notes scrawled onto paper. Yeah. Uh, because I know from dealing with anybody from TSR and that era, they said that Dave had a lot of things scattered on papers and notes and everything. So I think Rich, or Richard, I should say. Snyder helped him put his thoughts into one, or I should say three books and get this game going out there. Uh, I think it's a little bit off the wall with math and everything, but you know, he was a war gamer, so that's what yeah. he liked. So uh, I think that's what he did. And it really didn't sell well. I don't know because it was a fact, lack of marketing, lack of getting it out there. Maybe he didn't have a publishing company to back him up because he was using his own company at one point. I'm not sure. Well, obviously, I was too young then to know about it. I don't think a lot of stores picked it up because they didn't. To be honest, when they thought Dungeons & Dragons, I know they both did the game, but I think Gygax's name was more prominent in the D&D game, mm-hmm. to be honest. And any game store owner that saw this on the list from publishers probably were like, Dave Ar- who? Dave Arneson, who's that? Probably, probably didn't ring a bell because usually they're seeing Gygax and Arneson together, so they probably didn't ring a bell. Mm-hmm. Well, I think this was put together in an attempt to get his name out there and show people what he can do. Obviously, right. didn't, obviously didn't get hit the shelves as much as he wanted it to. Obviously, it tanked. It's it's like um, when the Beatles broke up and Ringo tried to make his own album. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. I could use that analogy. <laughs> this is the Ringo solo album, I guess you can call it, of role-playing mm-hmm. games. Yeah, I I actually found an interesting quote from uh, Jeff Barry that worked with uh, Dave Arneson in 79 about Adventure Games, the company that put this out. I was working for Dave at the time at Adventure Games as the chief Temecula boat person, as he described us. The staff at AGI was made up of Dave's friends from the first Minnesota ACW reenactment group. None of them were fantasy gamers of any type. Ken Fletcher and I were the only people there with any fantasy gaming experience richard was a freelance author and rarely in the shop Hmm. and then so the guy he credited for this to help him was hardly ever there right he was basically just a writer not a gamer okay yeah and uh he also uh, jeff also has another talking about why it didn't do well um the problem with aif wasn't that it was a bad game or anything. It was simply one of no marketing. Dave had bought it back from Excalibur with the money that the uh, first of the settlement with TSR. And like many other of the AGI product line was more or less just there because Dave or one of his friends had done the game. There was no real in-house support for the game like there was for, say, Complete Brigadier. And it was said that there wasn't much support for fantasy gaming of any kind in-house. AGI's Temecula line existed because Dave's personal friendship with Phil and my presence at AGI was a direct consequence of that. It always amazed that the AGI staff that we boat people, so-called, because we lived on pallets in the AGI basement under tarps, it was a very wet basement, could sell our rather recondite products in the main AGI line never seemed to sell at all. I kept pointing out that one needed to run games at conventions and advertise the heck out of a game. Otherwise, it would never sell to anyone. 
So basically, it sounds like he had friends at this game company, Arneson did, and they kind of just did this as a favor to him. Yeah. It's like, eh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, do whatever you want, Dave. And mm-hmm. they just kind of, but they just didn't really support it. It was just kind of like they felt sorry for him, it sounds like. Right. Just basically used, he used them as just a way to publish his stuff. Right. Just to get it yeah. out there. They didn't, and they didn't really pursue it. Right. Yeah, it's like Dave bought the game and then went to AGI to actually have it published. And they're like, eh, we'll publish it since we're friends, but we really don't care about it. But you know what? I have to commend them because if they would have even pushed it even more, this probably would have been a monumental flop for them. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not very good. Well, you never know back gaming at that time. You, it might have had some little weird niche where people that just like, ooh, we... Because if Dave liked that type of crunchy RPG with lots of math, there were probably others around at the time that did as well. Well... It probably appealed to those people who were actually well informed about the whole lawsuit issue, and they were they were pro Arneson. This is where it probably appealed to those uh, yeah. those types of people. While when I got into 1981 in gaming, I wasn't even aware of any of that crap. So, <laughs> yeah. Jeez. But uh, when Gary was pushed out of TSR. Yeah. Uh, he did his own game twice. Obviously, the first one was too close to TSR's D&D, so he got a lawsuit there. But he did yeah. Legendary Adventures, which was his version of what he wanted things to be. And mm-hmm. that wasn't all that complex and mathematical and off the wall. No. I mean, I have it, and it's easy to read. It's easy to follow. I could play it. And I... I think i know there are people who have played it so i've played it before it's not that complicated to figure it out i mean it's its own little soft covered book and it has its own supplements but it wasn't difficult no not like this i'm just not i'm i guess maybe one was more organized than the other with right putting things together i don't know and also you have to think that this was written in 1979, and gaming had since evolved far more But mm. by the time uh, Gary was putting out his own games. And sure. Gary's mindset, as we've noted before, he evolved over time on his opinions on what makes a good game. And hence why, we, if you read enough of his writings, you'll find he uh, contradicts himself quite a bit. Yeah, he does. Sure. So I think that... If Arneson would have written this game in, say, the late 80s as opposed to 79, I wonder how different the game would have been just from what people learned through uh, the early days of the hobby. And I'm sure if he was with TSR as long as Gary was, he probably would have, like you said, evolved even further on what's better and what's not better. Mm-hmm. And maybe this would have been even more interesting to look at and run through. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I just don't know. Yes. It, it, yes. It, it's weird, though. It's just a weird it, little it, game. It's very unique. Um. Yeah, just there's so much math. You would have to you really need like a reference chart of just all the different calculations that you'll be using constantly. Yeah, that'd be on your Dungeon Master screen. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
which I kind of wish we did have the uh, Dungeon Masters book or whatever it's actually the official title was, just to see what was included in it. And maybe it helps make sense of some of the stuff that uh, we're like, where is like the reputation? What does this actually, how does this affect anything other than just having this number? Maybe that's in the other books. But just from the sounds of it, though, it was. There might be some references to it, but not fully fleshed out because, again, it, the writer was probably given a pile of just sheets of paper and be like, yeah, turn this into a game. Make some sense of this. Yeah. Yeah. From what I gather, that's what his notes were like, which is not, it's fine with me. I don't care. Yeah. That's my notes. I have them all scrolled on different pieces right. of paper as I get an idea and I just throw it all together. Right, but when you're trying to compile someone else's notes written like that, a lot gets lost in translation. And I think that's what happened here. Well, I did. Well, I think the DMG was kind of the same. Who said that when they were editing it? Tim. Tim Cask. Yeah. yeah. He said like he was given like boxes of Gary stuff. Is like okay, it's your right. It's your job to edit all of this stuff. <laughs> Go. <laughs> I don't know. But I don't have the rest of the game. That's all I was given when my friend pulled it out. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And so that's all we had. And then I realized after we started reading it, <laughs> there was more to the game than this. So, But it's a good idea just to look at what what, what could have happened. So, mm-hmm. Right. From a historical it, perspective, it's actually really interesting. Yeah. And there's a great retrospective uh, blog review from Grognardia back in 2010 that goes into more depth about it as well. Yeah, I read that too. That's pretty good retrospective on it too. And I think he references maybe there, I think there was a reference to downloading something for the game here. I think Dragons at Dawn or something like that or something or other. Yeah, there's... Yeah, because there was talk of having it re-released, but then he, uh, Arniston passed away and so that kind of killed that. Yeah, they only use two classes, Warrior Magic User. I'm reading this little... Anyway, so that's Adventures in Fantasy. Uh, maybe there's more to it than we're seeing here, but if the rest of the books were written like this book, I, I'm probably going to not read them. I mean, <laughs> too much... Too much math and too many formulas. I don't like that type of stuff in games. Neither do I. I mean, first edition has its formulas, yeah, it has its math, but it's not as really complicated as this. So we'll be back next week with another show and another guest, and uh, I'm going to say keep it original, keep it old school, and good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, everyone. for initiative.